When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to Finding Annie. This is the finale, the grand finale of series two. And it's been such an incredible experience bringing you this series and having all these wonderful conversations and just learning loads, which is the point of this podcast. Um, The very final guest of this series is a real special one. His name is Rylan Clark Neal. He is a permanent fixture on mainstream television in the UK. He's doing so many things. I mean, name me a TV show that he's not doing. It's kind of harder to do that these days than, than the ones he is. It's He's just on everything. Um, and he's kind of turned his whole career around and turned perceptions of himself around in a major way. And that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in, to, in talking to him about today is that kind of his journey of of kind of finding success through real adversity. He grew up in Stepney Green in East London. He was one of those people that always um, kind of sought out and craved fame, it seems. He was in tribute acts to Westlife and Take That. He finally um, got onto the X Factor and uh, was kind of became really famous for his huge histrionics and far out outfits and his lack of ability to be able to sing but actually getting really far through the contest um, he went straight from Axe Factor to being on Celebrity Big Brother he won Celebrity Big Brother and then he ended up presenting Big Brother's bit on the side and that was kind of the start of a, of a big journey for him through television so this was all when he was kind of 23, 24 he's now I think 31 so for the last 6, 7 years he's been working his way up through television um, he's now the new host of Supermarket Sweep he's done a lot of stuff on This Morning uh, he's just like done so much in television and significantly in the last year he's got like a prime time show on BBC Radio 2 on Saturday afternoons between 3 and 6. So he's one of those people, when you think about the amount of people who come through the kind of reality TV machine and who end up kind of, um, you know, traumatised for the rest of their lives and in therapy because of what they've been through, or just kind of the normality of mundane life is, is kind of totally magnified because when you go through this huge magnifying glass of of a machine where you are being stared at and exposed at and there's cameras at you from every angle and then you come out and you have to live your normal life again it's pretty terrifying and it's not normal and it's 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 it takes a lot to kind of readjust uh, into normality. And it's become more and more common for people to have real issues, you know, to the point of awful, tragic ends. You know, recently with Love Island and the death of two contestants, 
or former contestants of Love Island in 2018 and 2019, respectively. Um, it's a very contentious issue at the moment, reality TV. But Rylan, to me, is one of those people who's managed to ride the wave of it in a very clever way. He's managed to see behind the workings of it and understand what what goes on, what people want from him, from the producers to the audience. He's played the game and he's won. And he's turned people's perceptions of him as being this kind of, uh, you know, Essex airhead guy to being actually a really clever guy. He's doing the election coverage, the alternative election coverage for Channel 4 during the election. Um, you know, he's well known to be absolutely obsessed with Brexit and politics. Um, he's, he's just whip smart. You can't be that entertaining and that good. Um, at your job when you do live TV without being hyper smart. So yeah, there's so much I want to speak to him about. I want to speak to him about his journey. I want to speak to him about his past, how he got here, what he wants out of his life. Um, And most of all, I think he's just one of those people that everyone enjoys being in a room with because he's just got that glow, right? Of kind of that that kind of famous person, that entertainer's glow. Um, And I'm not talking about the fake tan either. So let's do it. Let's welcome to the podcast the very final episode of Finding Annie Series 2, Rylan. Okay, this is the grand finale um, of the podcast and no better person to have as a very honoured special guest than Rylan. Hello. Uh, this is an absolute honour. <laughs> And I feel a big letdown for the series. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Honestly, it's so nice to have time with you because you're the busiest man on earth right now. I think so. Just behind, no, it's me. Talk me through your what you're doing, how many projects you're working on ATM. Um, can I consult with a lawyer? <laughs> I need to check the are diary. Are you serious? I ju- I think how many th- things are you working on at the moment? Probably about 12. Yeah, which sounds a lot and it is a lot, but they're all staggered sort of publicly. Yeah. But in real life, it's, yeah, it's all happening at the same time. Well, go through them because I want to know. Okay, so strictly. Yeah. That's a week. How how often does that happen? Every week. Every week, yeah. Ready Steady Cook is coming next year. Okay. A new fashion show called You Are What You Wear. Supermarket Sweep. (gasps) Iconic. Buy it now. Uh, Radio 2, mm-hmm. <laughs> only that Every little Saturday, thing, 3 that little Radio thing 2. called Radio 2. Uh-huh. What else am I doing? So this is where I need a, like a book, a yeah. handbook, Radio 2. Oh, you're doing the um, the Channel 4 the election, election the broadcast. Election. Nativity. Oh. <laughs> I'm in Nativity at Christmas at the Apollo. Um, what else am I doing? Uh, I'm sure there's another show. And I'm tra- yeah, there is, but I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's the lies. For about yeah. 12 months, I had to call Ready Steady Cook Padron. <laughs> Because I was, I started to call it Green Peppers because it was such a secret and people started to catch gist. So I was yeah. like, Padron, I've got Padron tomorrow. <laughs> and it's all the code words. I actually yeah. had a meeting with the Ready Steady Cook team, yeah. sat down in the office and they said, so we, we're going to be doing Ready Steady Cook. And I was so adamant in my web of lies. Yeah. I said, I don't know what you're going on about. I thought I was being tricked. <laughs> and it was the Ready Steady Cook team, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That, that's where it's Too the, well trained. Too many You'd be a great lies. spy, babe. Too many like, how do you know I'm not? Yeah, oh, here we go. Oh Not God, that I would ever reveal That would be the best one. undercover yeah. ever. Thank you. Ryland undercover as a spy. It's all been a life for yeah. the past seven years. <laughs> um, so we were talking earlier about the Radio 2 thing, because that, that's pretty recent, right? How long have you been on Radio 2 About for? a year now. Okay, so from, from yeah, so one year into Radio 2, and you said you feel like that's kind of been a bit of a shift. How? Because I'm really interested in that. Yeah, I think, I think when it was announced that a 30-year-old X Factor reject 
was getting their own show on Radio 2, a lot of people went, what? And whilst they went, what? They then started to listen to dig it out. Yeah, it's curiosity, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That cat's well and truly did. Mm. But I think people listened to it and went, oh, maybe he's not. Because some people I take for granted, I think. I just presume everyone knows what you've done. Yeah. But some people genuinely, the last time they ever saw me was on The X Factor. Mm-hmm. Or hadn't seen you at all. Or hadn't seen me at all and yeah. just didn't understand what was going on. But no, I think it's been a massive shift. So I think a lot of it, I think more so, not even the public, but the industry started to take me a bit more seriously. Yeah. And I think people's eyes went, oh, okay, he's not he's not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm gripping on for dear life with these <laughs> teeth. <laughs> um, one of the things I did, because um, I hadn't seen all the X Factor stuff, right? Because mm. I don't really watch thank a lot of that the, thank stuff. Thank the Lord. So I did. I watched it today so in prep just now. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. I, I, I found it really interesting because I've, I've read all the interviews about you and there's one interview that you did for The Guardian recently that really just made me look at you in a whole different way because, again, mm. there's, there's preconceptions about you probably because of what you have how you have come to the route success. Took, yeah. yeah so um what would you say people think thought about you kind of like before i mean if you say the bbc is a turning point over perceptions mm. what do you think what how did they feel about you as a person the easiest way that i can describe it is i think a lot of people thought about me the way i was supposed to be thought about from that show and this isn't me insulting the etc in any way because I'll never forget where I came from and it was the biggest platform especially at the time that I did it it was like 10 12 million people watching it every week um and you were 23 I was 23 yeah I turned 24 on the show and the first couple of weeks at sort of the auditions boot camp judges houses and week one I took it incredibly seriously mm. but then I realized what was happening around me and that as much as it was a singing show about your vocals, it was probably more of an entertainment show. And then this thing happened where I was in the bottom two week one and I thought it's over before it's even begun and then I was saved, which caused genuinely such big controversy. At that time, and this is an awful thing to say and I'm not saying this is a throwaway comment, but at that time there was two people on the front pages of the papers. It was me and Jimmy Savile. Oh, my God. And I was getting worse headlines than Jimmy Savile most yeah. days. And I took it and all to heart. why were you getting the worst headlines? Because people thought I didn't deserve to be there. Okay. And at week one, I didn't feel ready on that show. And I had so much abuse. And the one thing that got me was my family, because I thought my family have got mm. to go through this. Not even just me now. This is public. It's, it's everyone I know. And then week two, I realized what I was, a what with all due respect, what role I had to fill on that show. And it wasn't to be the singer. If I would have sung on X Factor or could have genuinely stood there and sung, like Mm. 90% of the contestants do, I may have lasted three weeks, four weeks maybe, gone on to do some gigs, Mm. earned a bit of money. But I just saw the avenue and I just saw, I, I put the blinkers on and I knew you need to be that one that's on the front pages of the papers every day, wears the ridiculous outfit and do that. And then I would, really toed and froed with myself whether I wanted to do it mm. but it's a bit like Mean Girls would you rather be in the plastics hating life or not be in the plastics at all mm. that's what it was a little bit like so I decided to be in it <clears throat> and I decided let's do it properly and I did and very early on not a lot of people know this I had already had a very quiet word in my ear from someone from Big Brother saying they're talking about putting you in Celebrity Big Brother in January 
And I was like, right. And it was never a definite, but I knew that I was on their radar. And I love Big Brother. I've loved Big Brother mm. since it was always on. And I thought, okay, so if I play this right, I can create this character that everyone hates slash loves to hate, depending on what they liked, mm. knowing potentially in a month's time I could be going into Big Brother and I could be myself. And then everyone go, oh, he's not this basic drag queen by the looks of the outfits I was wearing. And that's exactly what happened. And I lasted eight weeks, the quarterfinals. I left, went straight into Big Celebrity Big Brother and won it. <laughs> I feel like I need to like, like, like sound a clack and like, because that was undercover. Yeah. You were just, you were just like, okay, I am going to play the role that I need to play yeah. to get out of here to get to the next step. Absolutely, that's fucking genius. Do you know what? Everyone goes, yeah, that's genius. I don't think it's genius. I think it was natural. Yeah, I, t- I saw an opportunity and I took it. Yeah, and that wasn't me lying to people because I was myself. Yeah. But I was. But you were an but exaggerated for that three version minutes of yourself, on stage, right? Yeah, for that three minutes on stage, I was Rylan. Yeah, yeah. And I was the X Factor version of Rylan. Mm. Definitely. There's a bit in in the judges' houses when uh, Nicole brings you through. Yeah. And um, she's she's kind of you know they do the big long dramatic talk through before yeah, they actually say whether you're through or not. And she she says. Uh, what, what I found really interesting was like, you've got a really great personality. Yeah. I love your sense of view. And, that, and that's when I was like, this isn't about anything, but just yeah. your character. But that also can translate in a very dark way because you're not being judged on your voice. You all know that once you're in there, it's yeah. on way more because your other fella who didn't get through yeah. could sing really well. Yeah. But was, he wasn't shining in a way char- charismatically like you were. So if you get rejected, it's not just that you're getting rejected for your voice. It's that you, all of you, is getting rejected. So that it, it's a fucking dark place in there in all of reality in a weird, TV right in a weird way yeah but I think what I've learned from being in it yeah hosting it yeah on the production of it mm-hmm. all angles and it's really easier said than done because I've done it and yeah. I totally get that but none of it's personal yeah. everything's business yeah everything's business and if you look at reality shows in the era when Reality, them type of formats were the most watched shows on television. Mm. Every show is exactly the same with different people. Mm. Every single one. Mm. Whether it's The X Factor, whether it's Big Brother, whether it's Love Island, whatever it is. Every single show is exactly the same and there's a formula. Mm. No one knows if the formula is going to work. And over the years, that formula did start to die out because, Mm. weirdly enough, people run out. But the formula is essentially... And please correct me if you think I'm wrong, a popularity contest between who the audience loves the most, right? And that could Absolutely. be so that could be someone who they But that's life. Yeah, it's life. It's life, but it's life. That's on our industry it's that we both fun. work in now. Yeah. Our industry is a popularity contest. Like you is. can be the best presenter in the world. Like this podcast could be number one in the world. Yeah. But if people don't like you, they they, they won't listen. Said, yeah. And I all about likability. Yeah, I found that in especially in the early parts of my career, like for the first sort of three, four years, someone could have given me, I don't know, Saturday night takeaway to host on ITV. Mm. And I'm not saying I would, but I could have done the exact same job Mm. as Ant and Deck. The the format could have been exactly the same, the same uh, budget spent, the same this, but people wouldn't have watched it because it was me and not Ant and Deck. Yeah. And I think we do live in that industry where we're used to what we're used to. And the second someone comes along to derail it, there's a split down the middle. People either love it 
or they think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their life. Brexit. <laughs> Do you want me to talk <laughs> no, about Brexit? We're getting to that. Because I've got a lot to say. <laughs> we're getting to that. We're getting to that. So, okay, so let's talk about, go back to the dark times, because one of the things I'm so interested about in you as a person is how, you know, even your Instagram tagline is like, well, I can't remember it now. Started off as the joke, still laughing. There you go. Boom. The idea of you kind of finding this incredible success and trust with your audience and that likability, which has always been there, but you've turned people's perceptions about you around. Um, but at the start, being on those front pages alongside Jimmy Savile, being very young, very vulnerable, mm. having your family, you know, affected. How was that? What was the kind of dark period of that? I tell you what the dark period was, was during exit I had to have 24-hour security because I was getting death threats. Now, at first, I didn't take them seriously um, because, you know, weirdly enough, you read about this stuff on reality shows and some people are like that um, until I got a tweet that I saw and it said, we all lived, we were very lucky that year, we, we lived in the Corinthia Hotel in London. Mm. So we didn't have an X-Factor house. We lived at the hotel, we'd taken over a whole floor. It was a five-star hotel. It was, we were so lucky. And I got a tweet saying my room number. When I'd be out on my balcony having a cigarette, for argument's sake, which was internal as well, my balcony. My balcony was internal facing, so it wasn't on the street, it wasn't public. So I knew someone was in that hotel. And they must have been in a room or got a room to see me because there was no other way you would know the things that they knew and it really really frightened me and I thought someone's going to kill me in my sleep <laughs> like what if it's someone that works here what if they've got a key card like anything all these things are running through my mind until week three I came downstairs outside the hotel and always at the entrance there was like hundreds of people because they knew we lived there and it was at the time that X Factor people wanted to have mm. photos and follow you around and I was getting bundled into a car to go to rehearsals. And everyone's like, can I have a photo? And you try and have, you know, as many selfies with people yeah. as you can. And this one bloke was like, can I have a photo, please? Genuine. And I looked in his phone yeah. at the selfie being taken and I could see my face and his face and I recognised his face. And it was him. <laughs> it was the guy, the guy the profile. Yeah, yeah. that was tweeting me all this stuff. And he saw me... This is what's really strange about it because I remember it really vividly. He saw me looking through the lens at him mm. and I saw him looking through the lens at me, but our eyes never met because we're both looking into the screen, not the camera. But in a weird way, they did meet because we're looking at each other through the screen. And I just turned towards him and he looked at me and his face dropped because he clicked straight yeah. away, I know you are. And he was so embarrassed. And I got in the car, I was pushed in the car like by security. They had no idea. The door shut and it drove off. And it was like a, in a film. It's the only way I remember it. It was all like quite slow. And then it all clicked into place. None of it's real. None of it's real. Yeah. And that guy genuinely wanted a photo. Yeah. It's attention. Yeah. It's a way of getting a reaction. And then I thought, let's do it. And that's when it all changed me on X Factor, when I went, let's play this game. Yeah. It was literally like I walked into a board meeting with them, all sat there, and I went, game's fucking on. Let's yeah. do it. I think even now I'm still wary. I don't go out. Mm. I never go out. And that's mm. not because I'm a fucking A-lister, because I'm not. I barely scrape Z. But in my life, I'm six foot four. 
I've got big teeth. Mm-hmm. I've got quite a recognisable face. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting here now with a cap on, mm-hmm. but you'd still know it was me walking down the street. Whereas a lot of the people I work with could not have any makeup on, put a beanie hat on, and you would never know yeah. it was them. Or they'd blend in. Mm. I've had so much work done, I don't blend in no more. Yeah. So I never go out. Yeah. The only time I'm out of my house really is for work. Yeah, yeah. And I think it sort of put me in a bit of a bubble. Mm. And I do find that difficult at times. I do get a little... And it puts a strain on my personal life. Mm. Because, you know, like most people would go, I don't know, out for dinner or mm. pop to the shop and stuff. I, I'd mm. get, I get a bit, I wouldn't say panicked, but yeah. slightly. You're just really self-aware, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I don't need to be. You're really nice. So everyone who comes up and asks for a picture I'll never gets say one. no. Yeah. So you get no peace. Yeah. That's the kind of just... The and very... as lovely as it is, because you've got to remember, the reason why, like my husband hates it. Of course he does. Yeah. Because, but you know... he's from that world, he understands. Yeah, right? in yeah. a way he gets it, but he still hates it. Yeah. But... I just, I don't know. I know I've worked hard by myself, but the whole first year of my career was a public vote. Mm. The whole first year of my career. And that's, Wow, that's, that's that when you it put all. it like that, it's incredible, isn't it? In a weird phrase, the first year of my life now yeah. was a public vote. Yeah. So therefore, without that public vote, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah, I owe a lot of my career to the public. I owe all of my career to the public. And I think that's what's built into my head when anyone wants anything from me, I have to do it. I totally see. Whether I'm in the mood to or not. I mean, I've been asked for fucking pictures in a graveyard. Mm. You know, like my mum's not too well. Mm. And she's in and out of hospital a lot, sometimes quite ill. And I'll be in the lift in the hospital. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm just here visiting my mum. And that goes in one ear and out the other. And, oh, I love you on... Yep. And yeah. and then you have the photo and you never say no, but you sit there and think people genuinely forget any have you ever type tried? of decency. Have you ever tried to say someone, would you mind if I just don't today? No. I just feel really I'll tell awful. you why and I won't say who, but I was once out with someone mm. in the day and we went to an industrial park. To, to I'm go, not going to ask why. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no, just go to like a sports shop. Yeah, yeah. To get some Decathlon trainers or, or something. something. Yeah, yeah, it literally yeah, yeah. was a decap. <laughs> um, and you can tell how BBC I've got. That I don't even mention fucking brands anymore. I know, anymore. yeah. Um, and <laughs> we got out of the car and there was this elderly woman and she was the epitome of elderly woman. If you had to draw an elderly woman, yeah. that purple mauve <laughs> long coat Mac... You know, the dot cotton washing bag, the rent. And she was clearly with like her grandson or even I'd go as far as saying her great grandson who was like nine. Yeah. And she and this was before I was known. Yeah. But she was known. And this woman came up to her and said, again, elderly woman voice. Hello, darling. Do you mind if I have a photo? And it was just an outright no and carried on walking. And I was so embarrassed yeah. standing there as like the third party. Yeah. And I saw this kid look a bit down and this woman, I wouldn't say the woman looked down, but she was a bit like, a bit rude. Yeah. And then went into the shop and I said, why did you do that? And she said, because I have to. I have to do that because otherwise I won't have a life. Yeah. Now, I always said I'd never do that mm. because I could see it from the other side. But I get it. Yeah. I still get it. Yeah. And I would never judge her for that mm. because I totally fucking get it. Mm. It I totally understand why she does that. Yeah. Yeah. Whether so some people think sides. it's rude or not, yeah. so everyone deals with things in a different way. Mm. And the career that that woman had, I get why she does that. Yeah. Uh, 
but I'm not at that point yet. Yeah, yeah. And I don't ever want to be at that point. How do you feel about social media? Because when when you were in X Factor initially, you were 23. Yeah. And that I was... I didn't even have Instagram on X Factor. There you go. So, so I think, like, it's interesting if you look at the kind of evolution of social media and how that has kind of infiltrated everything about how people see themselves. Lives. But when in a, in a reality TV scenario... Do you and think a it, live one as well, do you think where it, you're not in Big Brother, you're locked away, you can't see anything. Oh, On X Factor, it's mm, real time. Mm. You get it there, and then the second you come off stage, you know exactly what every member of the public thinks of you. Mm. You're trending. You're number one trend on Twitter. <sighs> I remember it. I never forget when my audition went out, I was the second top trend in Great Britain. Oh. And the weirdest story about that was, the night my audition went out, I was at Heathrow Airport mm. about to board the flight to Judge's Houses with X Factor the night my audition went out. So obviously in real time we're ahead. Yeah. And I, my phone went bim, 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 as I was at the boarding gate and I was like, what the fuck's going on? And I looked and I had like a million notifications. All I did was press Twitter. I just saw top trend, Rylan. Oh my God. And one of the producers just grabbed my phone and that was it. My phone was confiscated for judges' houses. So I got on that plane knowing that everyone in the country had just seen my audition. I hadn't. I had no idea what people were saying about me. And then I was on a seven and a half hour flight to Dubai. And then I was there for three days. And why don't you let, I don't, why don't they let you have your phone? Because you're in that bubble. But the biggest blessing with social media is everyone I work with now, I can see what they said about me and they don't know. Oh my God. Oh my God. Every single one of them. You could go, oh my God. Every single one of them. (gasps) And I know everything that everyone said about me. Even people that like, are my colleagues now. Have you ever? I don't need to. No. You just know in there. It's all banked. Yeah. Oh my God, Ryland! <laughs> there was one actually when I came off of X Factor. I went on a quite a big chat show. Yeah. And it was really rare that I watched they'd... that on on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I went on this chat show, and it was quite rare that they had anyone like me on there mm. because I just literally come off. It was X a Factor. great booking. Thank you. Mm. And there was someone else on there, and I listened to them. Off screen, slag me down to the ground. Slag me down to the ground. And back then I was so frightened to say anything to anyone. Mm. But it always stuck with me. And then three years later I was up for best presenter at the NTAs. And I went backstage because I was hosting an award as well. Mm. And this person turned around and went, oh my God, Rylan, it's so nice to meet you. My kids love you. Please can we have a photo? And I had two choices. Do I say something? Do I not? I thought I'm not going to say anything. Had the photo. And as they walked off, I called their name, they turned around and I went, we've met before. And they said, when? And I told them when, and the face just dropped. And I just went, have a great night, and walked away. <gasps> so they knew, you didn't have to say anything. I don't need to. Yeah, yeah. People remember if they're pushed. Mm. You have this kind of steely resilience. What is it about you, do you think, that you're able to kind of fucking brush this shit off your shoulders The money. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm rich now. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. But honestly, what you've been through, like the abuse, people will be in fucking therapy for the rest of their life for that. Do you know what? It never ended. That's why. It's still going. Yeah. Everyone always asks me about, especially what's gone on in reality TV lately, about yeah. duty of care and, and things like that. Yeah, I can talk about that from all sides because I've worked on Big Brother for six, seven years. Yeah. I've been a housemate. I've won it. I've then worked behind the scenes. I see how it all works. I can talk about it in that way. But what I can't talk about it is when you leave a show like that and it ends mm. and you have to go back to normal because I never did. It never stopped for me. I'm still in my reality show. Yeah, you're still going. You went yeah. straight into from X Factor to Big Brother. My to life Big genuinely on the side changed to... and never unchanged. Yet. Yeah. Can you 
can you see how Absolutely. having experienced the highs and this overexposure, yeah. people might end up feeling totally overwhelmed and lost? Yeah, and shall I tell you where I see it? And this isn't slating Eurovision at all because I love Eurovision and I'm yeah. so glad I'm part of that team. But I often think about it the day after the finale of Eurovision yeah. because all of these contestants go to Eurovision and they are representatives of countries. It's an honour to, to yeah. take part in that competition. And the way mm. that they're all treated while they're there are literally like A-listers. And I just sit there and think, and weirdly enough, you see how some of them change over the course of the two weeks yeah. that you're part of that bubble. Yeah. And it is a bubble. It's a world within a world. And they start to get, some would start to get a bit like, mm, you know, I'm something special. Yeah. Bear in mind there's only one winner. Yeah. And on that Sunday, that's it. They're back to their jobs. Bye. Yeah, by Monday. And I always think about it on the plane home, thinking, yeah. oh, God, that one from this country. Yeah. What's she going to be like in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> like, going back to, and bearing in mind, I've got biogs on the mall, like, going back to work in the bread factory. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for that two weeks, you're Madonna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally. God, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it, that's what it was like, especially my year of, of X. Mm. It was such a big series. And, like, mm. you were treated, like, we, I mean, we were at the James Bond premiere. We were at wow. all of these unbelievable places that mm. you never thought you'd be with stars mm. coming up to you and wanting to talk and to you. And opinions on you. And, and you're like, yeah. what? Yeah. But the second you're out, you're out. And so the fame also, when you look at it the other way, when you go in, it's so immediate, right? It just, like, for you, it's I just boom. I am the poster boy for overnight. It's mad. My audition went out at... I'm going to hazard a guess at half seven. Mm. And by 7.45, Number one over 11 it. million people knew who I was. Oh, my God. Like that. Is it, did you want that going in? I presume there was That's an all I wanted. You just wanted, that you wanted fame. And now it's my biggest regret. Mm. It's really? the one thing I hate. Mm. Yeah, I love my job. And, I'm, and everyone that I meet is so lovely, public, colleagues, whatever. But I wish mm. I could have it all, where it's I could do my job do everything that I'm doing now mm. but the second I'm off air no one knew who I was mm. and I'm, I'm lucky like I, I, listen I come out of a cancer house I'm not saying I had a terrible upbringing I didn't like my mum and my nan brought me up with my brother and oh, I didn't know you had a brother yeah my brother Big he's actually girl. my driver now oh no way yeah. oh, keep it in the family so lovely um, yeah. and yeah you know we, we didn't have everything we had enough yeah but, you know, my mum, like, we never owned our own house and things like that. And to be doing the job that I'm doing now, I can do all that stuff, you which is amazing. In, in Stepney, right? Yeah, Stepney Green. What's that like? Um, I grew up in Stepney Green and it was probably the best upbringing I could have ever had. Mm. Because, honestly, the EastEnders in London were the best people you could ever wish to grow up with. They, yeah. They're your family. Yeah. And it was, like, all our family were there. Your neighbours, like, doors were left open. Mm. You just wander into people's houses. Wow. Um, but then it just started to change. Okay. Sort of about when I was 11, yeah. it started to change. and What did? You did? The, the area did? The area started okay. to change in the fact it became dangerous in a way. Like what, one day I was, there was this place that we all called The Adventure and it was like a rope swing outdoor. Playground? Big old sand pit, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and one day I was just there and you know everyone. Because you've lived there your whole life. You grew up there. And I was just pulled off this rope swing by this group of boys and kicked in the head. And they fractured my skull for no reason. And the next thing I remember, I was 
driving uh, the weirdest thing is i remember looking out of a window i realized i was in an ambulance and i drove past my house i saw my house go by and i was going i live there i live there and they're like no no you're fine don't worry and i think it was that moment that my mum went fuck this we're done like it's felt unsafe around here for a while now and there was no real reason why that happened but people started moving like people left their homes, which was really, really weird. Like people were all moving to Essex. It was like the new thing. But then when that happened to me, I think that was like a thing for my mum to go, well, he can't play out around here. And we had family that did live in Essex. And every time we went there, all the kids would do would play out mm. because you had loads of space to play out. Yeah. And I, it used to be like a holiday for me, mm. just going to see our family in Essex for like a night. And then we ended up, I then got into a really good school in Essex. And that was the sort of settler where it was like, like a right. secondary school. Yeah, yeah. So for the first year, it was the top school in the country at the time. And for the first year of school at 11, 12, I'd travel from London to Essex to go to secondary school every day. What were you like as a kid? I think I was a good kid. But the age gap between me and my brother is 15 years. Okay. So I was never around kids unless I was at school. So in my home life, I was always around adults. So I sort of grew up quicker and knew things quicker than maybe people I was at school, primary school with. Mm. Were you a kind of exhibitionist kid? Yeah. You like to be the centre of But also really clever. Yeah. I was very clever, yeah. like to the point where I got into my secondary school yeah. on a test. We all had to take a test to get into that school, and they only took, ever took, like three people per year from London yeah. to get into that school, and I was one of the three. Tell me about when you first realised that you were gay. That's quite difficult because I didn't know what it was. Mm. I didn't really know what it meant. But I just remember being at school, primary school, and all the boys would play football mm. and I would be doing S Club 7 steps and spy skill routines with the girls by the side of the church. But that was normal. And then... I remember one boy at primary school once said to me, you're gay. And I didn't know what he meant, but it hurt. Does that it make felt, sense? It felt like I an felt, insult, <gasps> and an accusation. How dare you, yeah. Mm. And I didn't really understand it. And then I remember, I think it was when I went to secondary school, I met one of my friends who I'm not really close with now, unfortunately. Mm. But I met one of my friends and it's sort of like we had an understanding and I sort of knew I think he likes the same things as me because mm -hmm. he liked drama and dance and things like that. So we sort of gravitated towards each other and we become best friends. Mm. And inherently, we then had a little collection of girls around us yeah. and that was the group. And then I, I knew that I was gay and I knew that I liked boys and I knew that I didn't like girls like that. But I wanted to like girls, mm. but I didn't. Even to the point, sort of, when I was like 14, 15, one of my friends who was a girl, we, I remember it was fireworks night, and I won't say the full story, but something happened between me and that girl. Yeah. Like, not sex, but something happened. And that's the only time I ever did anything with a girl. And did you know? Yeah, because I was laughing the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so was she. Yeah, yeah. And that was, and it wasn't weird. Yeah. I know that sounds 
really dodgy, but it wasn't no, weird. No, not at all. Not it at wasn't all. like, I can't someone. believe that's just happened. Yeah. I can't believe that's happened. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was just us. It weren't like a group and it was like a dare. No, it was just us. And yeah. it just happened. Yeah. Um, and was there ever yeah. anyone on the telly or in the public eye that, that was gay that you were like, okay, look at them. They're being gay. They're being themselves. This is. Um, I wouldn't kind of, say that I remember that. I mean, there's still, I actually not, still used to not get that a many people, is there? There's no gays on telly. It's terrible. Who are, uh, I, I, but, but you know me, who are like out. I, know, and, I know, know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But no, there was, <laughs> there was times where if gay people would come on the telly, I'd get a bit embarrassed. Because okay. I hadn't said anything to like my mum or anything yeah. like that. But, your mum your mom must have known, right? Oh, well, will you say that? Yeah. <laughs> the way that I came out was really, really weird. I never knew how I'd tell my mum or what I'd say. Yeah. And one day she picked me up from one of my friends' house, another one who I don't talk to now, honestly, what a life. Yeah. And the whole second I got in the car, I felt sick. Wow. And it just come over me, like, heat. I knew what I was about to do. Yeah. But I'd never thought I'd even do it. Yeah. And I don't know how it happened. It was like someone waved the magic wand and went, it's now, but being... And we got back to our house, and I was sat in the car, and my mum went, what are you doing? And I went, oh, and I couldn't speak. She went, oh, fuck off, what are you doing? Just got out of the car. Yeah. And I was then sat in the car outside our house while yeah. my mum was inside it. It was very weird. Yeah. And I rang my friend, and I went, you've got to tell her. She went, what, what, what? I was like, you've got to tell her. Tell your mum to tell her. So then I stayed on the phone, and I heard my house phone ring from the car. Oh, my God. And I heard my friend's mum ringing my mum. Mm-hmm. And she went, hello, Lynn. My mum went, hello, you right, right, right. But I can only hear this side of yeah. the conversation, my friend's mum on my phone. And she's like, oh, I've got something to tell you. Right, right. And it's all quite mumbly. Mm. And then I hear, Linda, no! <laughs> so instantly, I did what any self-respecting little gay boy would do, opened the car door, left the car door open and run away. <laughs> it was pissing down. And I ended up sitting in a field for about three hours. Oh, my phone, I don't know, I think I left my phone in the car. I, I don't think I had my phone on me. And I was in state. Anyway, finally, that little gay boy was like, listen, my fucking foundation's fucked now. I've yeah. got to get, get <laughs> got go. Yeah, you look horrible. <laughs> go home. Go and have a blow dry. <laughs> so I got home, walked in, mum went, you all right? I went, yeah. Went upstairs, got my phone. Mm-hmm. It was obviously in my mum's car, she'd brought it in. I rung my friend. I said, what happened? what happened? She was like, where have you been? Where have you been? I was like, I don't know. I just heard your mum. Your mum go, no, Lynn, no. She was like, yeah. Do you want to know what actually happened? What? My mum's, so my friend's mum said, Lynn, like, Ross has got something to tell you. And my mum went, don't tell me he's got a girl pregnant. And what <laughs> I, I went, then no, heard Lynn, was, no, no Lynn. <gasps> and then apparently my mum told her, she was like, oh, all right. Mm. But my mum didn't really know, but knew. Yeah. In a weird way. And yeah. I remember the day after that, I had to go somewhere with my mum and she said, so do you want to talk about it then? I went, no. <laughs> and then I think she even said like, about my friend at school. Yeah. You and you and him ever. And I went, shut up. Like, <laughs> it was just, and that was it. Never spoke about it since. Wow. But like, it was never a problem. It was just a given. It was yeah. just like, all oh, right, yeah, yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. Shock. Yeah. Oh but God. for me, it was like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, um, tell me about your ambitions. Now or then? Now. Because I mean, because, because, because. To be happy. Yeah. But what about like, you literally have every TV job raining down on your head and you can just take it. It feels like. Yeah. So what's the kind of, do you want to be like, do you want a chat show? I want the one. You want the one show? No. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it'd be better than that, babe. (laughs) I want the one show. Um, No. I just want the one. The one what? The one gig show. Okay. That's not the one show. I get um, it. I just want that one show that is all you need. Is mine. Mm. It's no one else's. Mm. And I've had that, but it's either been inherited, someone's done it previous, or something like that. I suppose a little bit what James has done in America with the Late Late Show. Mm. Something along those lines. And it's been tried here before and it's not worked. Mm. Like I know there was like the nightly show and then there was I did I did a chat show in 2016 it was on channel 5 it was quite late it was called Up Late with Ryland and it was what I wanted mm. but too much was thrown at it and it was never what I wanted mm. but I was in a position where I had to be grateful at mm. that point that I got trusted with that um, now I'm a bit older and wiser I know exactly how I'd run that and what I'd want to do with it but I would love I'd love to keep doing what I'm doing but which bit you're doing 12 things and that's just now um I can't answer that question. Yeah. I guess you're still trying to there out, yet. aren't you? You're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Would you, are you going to have your own production company? Yeah. Because you, you want to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course. Have an empire. My husband owns one. Yeah, so. perfect. So have your empire. Yeah. And then you don't have to answer to anyone, right? Yeah, and I think the thing is, for me, it's never about answering to anyone, but without sounding like an idiot, and I'm not sitting here saying that I've been doing it for like 400 years, I know what I'm doing. Mm. I do know what I'm doing. And that's not me saying I know best. You knew what you were doing in X Factor when you were I knew what I was doing in 2012, but it's nearly 2020. Yeah. Believe me, I know what I'm doing. And I can walk into a show, and I have walked into a show before that's not even my show and had to host it. I've gone on as a guest and then had to host it. I've never seen a script. I've never done that. But that's what I'm good at. Mm. But what I am good at as well, and I credit Big Brother for this, is that I will never have Big Brother again where... That team was like my family. Mm. And I was never in my dressing room. All I did was sit in that office. I even had my own computer. I didn't need a fucking computer. But I dressed it up. Like, you, I did my bit. And we had the best time. And that's where I learned how to run a show. Okay. Everyone called me the secret exec. My exec, Rachel, like, we had the best relationship. Who is now working on the one show, weirdly enough. Um, and we got each other. And she'd go, what do you think about this? i go, nah. What do you think about this? she go, nah. Then we go, actually, what about that? Yeah. Like, to the point where someone go and make me a wishing well. (laughs) What? I've got... It's in my head. (laughs) When the housemates leave, let's go and get a well. (laughs) We'll put them in a well. I'll dress up as the bird from the ring. (laughs) And we'll call it the final farewell. 
all right, yeah, let's do it. Like, that's the shit that goes down, mm. but it works. Mm. And, and testament to Rachel, your exec. Brilliant. Because the best ones will collaborate. Yeah, and will get, get the most out of exactly, you. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's shows that I've worked on that aren't like that. Mm. And I just have to deal with that. Mm. But I am in my head like a secret exec. Mm. Like I'll sit there and go, this would be so much better if we did it. But it's fine, it's fine. Because there is a gap. But I don't like, I'd never tell someone how to do their job, ever. No. There are a lot of hosts that do. And I'm yeah. sure you've worked with oh them God, and yeah. you know who they yeah. are. But I've always said I will never talk to anyone like shit in this industry. Um, well, I think there is like a huge gap on television for an anarchic kind of unpredictable entertainment show that feels live and dangerous, not in a dark way. Do you no. know what I mean? Like, 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 you all know. I've ever done is live and all I yes. really ever want to do is that. We need that. We need that back. I'm better when I'm live. Yeah, I bet. Hey, um, okay, so that's the future of Rylan in television. If he's got one. Um, oh, come on. Radio, I mean, you're on Radio 2. It's so funny. The other day, someone was like, do you know that Radio 2 played Tap- Patrick Topping Turbo Time? And we were in our, we were in the studio on my Friday night show. We were like, who would do that too? <laughs> and they were like, Rylan! Honestly, the funniest thing is, my show finishes at like two minutes to six. or well, it finishes bang on six when the news comes on. And then Lisa, lovely Lisa Tarbuck is up after me. Yeah. So you will go from like chicane offshore, <laughs> the dance heavy mix, to Dame Vera Lynn. <laughs> White Cliffs of Dover. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't write it. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm 12 and I'm not. Mm. But like kids that are going out now at like 18 years old, mm. we look at as like, like our age group would yeah. look at like Stevie Wonder songs. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. look at things like Ultranate, yeah. like Stevie like Wonder. Stevie You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's what happened to us? <laughs> what happened to us? <laughs> I mean, the other day, Sonique came into my office. What? And I was, don't, it was out? so fucking weird. <laughs> I walked in and I just saw this woman. She went, hello, darling. And I went, hiya. And I'm like, is that? No. And then she had a name badge saying Sonique, just to make it easier, which made it even better. She was obviously filming a game show. I was like, it's fucking Sonique. And I was like, you always made me smile. And I was like, what are you doing here? I was like, why are you in my office? And she was lovely. And I was trying to wait to her. I turned to one of my researchers. I was like, I can't believe Sonique. She's like, Oh no! I was they like, didn't get know. out. You're get sad. out! Yeah, you are sad. Get out! But yeah, it's just it's weird. It's like my my stepson's twenty. Yeah, and my nephew's. God, that's mad that you're a stepdad. I know, and yeah. my and my um my nephew's twenty as well. Mm. They're, they're both got the same age. Two boys. You can imagine two twenty year old blokes. Yeah, I will say things to them, like I don't know, reference something about the Spice Girls or like Claire from Steps is like my sister. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and they all know Claire is. They know Claire's in steps. Yeah. Somebody could come on the radio and go, oh, it's Claire. Which they means, wouldn't know. Which means Claire. Yeah. Like, one, one for sorrow. Yeah. What? <laughs> one for sorrow? Where? <laughs> what do you mean where? Well, that's the magpie, isn't it? Like, <laughs> are you, have I not talked? You've got two gay dads. Like, do you know what <laughs> I mean? Come on, don't come take on, the piss. Keep, keep up, girl. Like, it's just crazy. Like, huh? and you just think, how old are you? I'm 31. Yeah, like, you're not that I'm, old. You're I'm talking not like 90, you're 42. But because they make you feel like that. <laughs> That's how they make you feel. You sit there and say something to them and they're like, ooh. And you're like, is there something wrong with you? <laughs> I, I get if I was like throwing a wild card out there like Stacey Orica. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Maybe not everyone knows stuck. You should. And there it's is more bar. to lie. Yeah. But fine, I get that. But when I, fr- when I play the Jerry card, don't take the piss out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Rylan, thank you so much. Oh, it's been you so are a lovely. Hero. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, what a guy. What a guy. Rylan Clark Neal um, lives up to the hype, may I tell you, um, in person and in voice. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with him. So, yeah, Rylan, what a guy. No doubt he will go and find that one show that he needs to do um, in a few years' time. I'm excited that he exists in TV. I think the more freedom he gets to be exactly who he is, the better the television will be. And anyone with any sense in the world of TV will, will know that. That's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we are going to be back early next year, actually. There's no rest for season three. Um, I'm already recording new episodes. um, And if you have anything you'd like to say, any feedback at all, anything that you would like to hear me talking about, anything that you'd like to hear me talk about more that we've already touched on on the series, I'm just dying to hear all of your feedback. So please don't hesitate in getting in touch. The email is findingannymac at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram as well, AnnieMacDJ. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year and see you in 2020.